0: super talk mississippi media production find your new ride at kia macomb's all new location at the corner of i-55 and highway 98 come find out why macomb loves kia macomb at the corner of i-55 and highway 98 right on the corner right on the price
1: this is rebecca turner and thank you for listening to the good things podcast here on super talk mississippi Good afternoon, Super Talk Mississippi. You're tuned into your radio happy hour. That's the Good Things. I'm your host, Rebecca Turner. Now, don't forget, you can listen to Good Things. We are streaming live over at supertalk.fm. We're also streaming from the Super Talk Mississippi app. And, of course, you can always find us, too, on your local Super Talk Mississippi radio station. And you can watch Good Things. We are on your computer or your mobile device. Just head on over to Super Talk TV. We're going to hear about a great exhibit that's headed to the Museum of Mississippi Delta. In fact, it's not just headed there. It is already there. They had their opening event here this week. Joining us to tell us a little bit more is Miss Lisa Cookston. She is the director of the museum. Hey, Lisa. Hi, how are you? I am doing well, and you guys are already up and open and ready to go, Um, so tell, tell us what exhibit you got there.
2: We have an exhibit called Van Gogh for All, and it is a very interactive and immersive exhibit all about the world and creative life of Van Gogh, Vincent Van Gogh. It's um, so colorful, and and it just engages all your senses, and it's for little bitties because they can touch anything they want to, and it's very Instagrammable for that in-between age. And then adults will learn all about his life, his personal struggles. Um, it's just a feast for the eyes.
1: When you think about the Museum of the Mississippi Delta, you don't always think about Van Gogh. I mean, I'll have to admit, that doesn't always seem like mm-hmm. they would go together. So, Lisa, how were you guys able to, to get this exhibit, or maybe just how did it come across as maybe this being a stop, you know, along the way for the exhibit? Well,
2: um, I noticed that Laurel had it, and it was done by the Dolores Cole Education Foundation out of Chicago. Um, It had traveled to Houston, the Houston Fine Arts uh, Institute, and other bigger cities, and then was, you know, put up for COVID, and then Laurel got it. Anyway, I... I contacted the Dolores Cole Education Foundation and just said, "What would it take to get it here? We're, you know, we're in the Mississippi Delta. You know, this might be, you know, so many people's only brush, or you know, pun intended, or, you know, with a, one of the world's greatest artists. He also painted in very rural settings, so you know, you can find inspiration just anywhere. And we're a very rural area with a lot of beauty, and I hope it will inspire." Some young artists or even older artists to, you know, take out a paintbrush and just paint what's around them. I hadn't had the chance
1: to see the exhibit, although the invitation was extended for your opening night. I appreciate that. Um, but it looks beautiful. Like it looks like it would be something different and very unique. Mm-hmm. You kind of have an idea of what a museum exhibit looks like. I feel like museums across Mississippi are really challenging that as they get new exhibits um, to sort of think of how to bring the, the goer in a little bit differently or sort of show it from a different perspective. I think what I'm trying to say is gone are the days, Lisa, just hanging the pe- the paintings on the wall, and then just allowing right. folks to smile and nod, and then have conversation. It really is about opening it up to you know someone to really get immersed in it, and yeah. that's what it looks like this Van Gogh for All has done.
2: Yes, you can walk. You walk in. You can walk into his uh, recreation of his uh, studio and see his books and his painting. You know these these are all reproductions, but. You get to see the brushstrokes up close and personal. You get to walk into his bedroom and you can, you know, pull back the covers. There's a station, um, you know, Van Gogh was kind of the father or inventor of the selfie. There are a lot of images of himself that he painted because he couldn't afford models. So we have a little station with a mirror that children or adults can, you know, paint their own self-portrait and hang it up. Um, There's also a place where they can do their own still lifes. Um, uh, Van Gogh was very well-known for his uh, paintings of sunflowers and irises, and uh, there's a station for that. There's a station where you can manipulate a computer screen and see the starry night painting. Uh, You can animate it and make the stars and the the clouds and everything move in, in the direction you want. It's just... Like you said, it's it's not a passive exhibit. It's one that you get inside of and get to experience.
1: You also mentioned that it will share a little bit maybe behind the scenes of Van Gogh and some of his struggles. Why is it important for folks to see both the beautiful art and the creativity that he obviously, you know, left as a gift to the world, but then also that he was a real person and maybe not every day was a bright and sunshiny day like some of his paintings for him.
2: Right. Yeah, he struggled, and maybe, you know, some of, out of that struggle came great, you know, passion to create. Um, he unfortunately died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound at age 37 in 1890, and we're still talking about him today. Um, and he was such a prolific painter, He did about 900 paintings and drawings within a two-year span. Of course, he did more. But he maybe, maybe only sold one painting during his whole life. It wasn't until after his death that he became so famous and one of the best-loved artists in the whole world.
1: Are there any of his originals there, Lisa, or is this sort of an ode to all of his more popular works?
2: It is an ode. You get to see them bigger than life. And, again, there are sections where, you know, you see one of his paintings and you get to touch and experience. He painted with, you know, with such thick, uh, exuberant brush strokes. Sometimes it would take months, even years to dry. So um, you just, you really get up close and personal with his Creative process, and you learn. There's a timeline that um, the Lauren Rogers Museum made for this. They had this exhibit, and they were very kind to let us have it. There's also a great eight-minute animated um, video about Vincent Van Gogh and a friendship he had with um, a young a young child that he taught art to, and then you get to learn more about. What drove Van Gogh? And and although he was troubled at times, he was a very compassionate and kind man who had a lot of friends, a lot of family, uh, and painted, you know, feverishly.
1: Lisa, when you mentioned months to years to dry, my mom brain went straight to, he obviously didn't have children running around his art studio. (laughs) 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 That made my heart, like, just stop. Like, oh, my God, it was going to get messed (laughs) up if it's hanging on the wall and it hasn't dried. It takes that for uh, long for it to dry, but it's definitely something for us to learn and be enriched in. But then also, I'm sure this is not the only exhibit there. There's still bits of the Mississippi Delta at the Museum of oh, the yeah. Mississippi Delta. So if we come and see this, what else can we get a taste of if we've never been to the museum before?
2: Well, I will say Van Gogh has taken up uh, all of our temporary gallery space, which is that's the biggest part of our museum. But we also have um a military component, Civil War history, World War II history, and then we have one of the greatest archaeology rooms with uh, uh, pot Native American pottery that is on par with anything in the world. And uh, that is worth seeing. I, you know, we have a 10,000-year-old a mastodon that was unearthed 20, um, 20 miles up the road from us, and uh, one of DeSoto's uh, expeditions, Halbert, which is, you know, a blade from something they used on their way to the Mississippi. We also have, up on permanent display, a Greenwood LaFleur room. Um, That's the Choctaw, uh, French Choctaw chief um, that our city and and our county are named after. So you get to learn a little bit about that. So um, we just hope anybody, everybody, groups, all ages will come out and visit us.
1: And you've got between December 1st, which has just passed, till February the 29th to see the Van Gogh and then all the other good things there at the museum. You know, I encourage folks, I mean, do something different this Christmas break. You can have the kiddos out for a good solid two weeks or more or the kids home from, you know, college. Stretch your legs, go see something new, even if you're passing through. So, Lisa, what are y'all's hours of operation? And then if we are passing through, where are you at?
2: Okay, Uh, our hours, we're having special hours um, through the duration of this exhibit. It's Tuesday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. We will be open Sunday, 1 to 4 p.m. All kids 18 and under are free. We had um, their uh, admission underwritten by Greenwood Utilities and Delta Electric Lightspeed. So that was very gracious of them. Adults are $25. Seniors, 64 um, of age and older, are $15, as well as military are $15. And we're located uh, 1608 Highway 82 West. So it's very it's very accessible, you know, by car. And like I said, we just want to encourage everybody to come out and see something new and different, and experience it, and come visit Greenwood.
1: Absolutely. And then too, I mean, how cool is that? Like, add some, add a little spice to your your holiday season. Get out and do something Absolutely. different. Absolutely. Support a museum. <laughs> Learn something about a something about your Mississippi history. But then also in, and experience this incredible exhibit that obviously isn't going to be around for too long here in Mississippi. So you only got a few more weeks left. Left on all until right. February the 29th. If they want to check out um, the times and all of that, where can they go for more information, Lisa?
2: They can go to our website, which is uh, com. They can call us at 662-453-0925. But tickets can be bought in person if they want to uh, want to come. We would encourage, you know, school groups or any groups that want to come to call ahead just just to give us a heads up. But once it leaves here, it is going back to the Chicago Institute for Children, and so it's it's gone.
1: It's gone. So, so get out and yes. go see it, the Mississippi of <laughs> the Mississippi Museum of the Mississippi Delta. I appreciate you, Lisa, and you guys stick with us. We oh, got thanks. more for you coming up next.
0: Making your afternoon just a little brighter. It's Good Things with Rebecca Turner on Super Talk Mississippi. Once upon a younger year, when all our shadows disappeared, the animals inside came out to play. Went face to face with all our fears, learned our lessons. Thundercat,
1: no. <laughs> Okay, welcome back to Good Things. You can find us on your computer your mobile device. Just head on over to Super Talk TV. And don't forget our Super Talk Mississippi News team is covering your Mississippi stories. So stay up to date. Sign up for our free weekly newsletter over at supertalk.fm slash newsletter. In my defense, it sounds very much like what you played when we were talking about National TV Day. And the first TV show you ever remember really watching or connecting with is Thundercats. So who is this?
3: That's Avicii.
1: Oh, okay, not Thundercats. But no. is anywhere similar? Did I have, like...
3: I don't think it's ever been used for an animated show. <laughs> I think I got Thundercats you're in just, here somewhere. You're though.
1: trying real hard to be like, no, you got it all wrong. You missed the boat. Here's
3: here's Thundercats for you.
1: Okay. <laughs> totally off. <laughs> well, no, there you go. There's a little bit. Okay, give me a... Throw me a bone or a catnip or something of that of that nature (laughs) alrighty Uh, thinking about though our uh, conversation about Van Gogh being at the museum of of the Mississippi Delta if you missed that you can always catch it on podcast form or after the show you can find it over at Supertalk's YouTube page for sure but it got me thinking about is there a famous artist or exhibit or piece of art that you've seen that you're like proud that you got to see it or it was like kind of a bucket list or really neat uh, thing to see or that you would like to see, like what is on kind of like your art or artist or exhibit. I would like
3: to go to the, the Van Gogh experience. Yeah,
1: I do too, and, and that's exactly what Keith and Meridian said. I would love to visit this as soon as possible. I know many of you probably got the opportunity to see it while it was in Laurel or wanted to, and now you have this other opportunity to go and see it. And you know what Lisa said was like once it leaves, like it's gone, at least from here in Mississippi, it's not that you won't ever get the chance to see it again. But you, the likelihood of you being, you know, in Chicago, having the time to go do it or whatever, uh, will be more slim. Um, so taking this opportunity before the uh, 29th of February would be a good thing if that's what you want to do. I know when we were students, she was mentioning students getting to come. We were in the air where we got to go. It was here in central Mississippi, and it was where you put on the little headphones. Oh, yeah. What was it? What was the... Uh, there were a couple the, of
3: them. The one I remember the the best was the Louis the Fourteenth exhibit where it was all of the Baroque architecture. Like they, they transformed a room in the – was it the planetarium where they were holding it? Maybe it was the museum. But it was an entire room that they built to look like you were inside the Palace of Versailles.
1: Maybe so. And I remember the one that stood out the most, minus the little headphones that you got to put on, which is crazy. I can remember that because you got to push the buttons and they told you not to mess with the buttons. Um, and you walked sort of through it and everybody was messing with the buttons. Um, I remember that. But then it was the, what's the egg? It's, is it the Russian? Faberge the Fabergé egg. The Fabergé egg. Oh yeah,
3: that was the Louis the Fourteenth.
1: Okay. So that's like the one, I remember it as clear as day. Obviously not a whole lot of the details around it, but them all and thinking, gosh, how beautiful that was. And then, how much time it obviously had to take to make those, where they obviously open up, and then and then whatever it may be, that would have to be one of my most memorable things in terms of art that I feel like I have seen. Um, but some that I would love to see, I'd love to see the original of the Last Supper by Leonardo da Vinci. I think that'd be cool to actually see it. I mean, it's it's a it's a scene we've all, especially those here in the south or particular of a particular faith. You've seen it all. You may have a picture of it in your home, in some capacity or on some like a knickknack or something from your grandmother's. But just to actually see it. I yeah, think to see the actual
3: it. fresco on the wall. Yeah,
1: like, like that that the the original. I think would be.
3: It's one thing to have a a reprint or a, a print of it, or, or on a
1: plate. You know, like, right. like <laughs> you but know, to walk
3: in somewhere and it's like, oh. That was the the art they wanted to put on the wall, the same way you would just pick out a wallpaper.
1: Mm-hmm. The same way I would feel about the creation of at the Michelangelo, the one we've you know it's one thing again to see chapel to see it, but then it would be another thing like to see it in and in, in person. I think would just add you know maybe the Mona Lisa would be cool. Other than from what I hear, it's a letdown. It's not nearly as big as they make it out to yeah, be. Yeah, I've,
3: I've never been anywhere close to it because it's way over in France, and I've never even. Come close to going to Europe, but from everybody I've talked to that's been to the Louvre to see the Mona Lisa, it's underwhelming.
1: And I think it's because her PR team was so good to make it like a big deal, and then it's one of those pieces that's in so much cultural movies and comedy. I mean, all the things. Oh, yeah. And so then when you do finally get to see it, I mean, you it's ask somebody like,
3: on the street name a painting, more than likely you're going to get the Mona Lisa,
1: right? Um, or you know, and so you have you build it up. And then, obviously, if it's not that big, then it can be this this sort of massive letdown. It's not
3: much bigger than your average computer screen.
1: But for the most Turn part, right talking with Lisa, saying, you know, it used to be, and probably not too long ago, that most exhibits were, you walk in, it's hanging on the wall.
3: Yeah, there's a painting in a frame with a little plaque with information.
1: Cross your arms like you know what you're doing. You stare at it for a minute, and then you try to come up with something Oh, yes, the
3: contrast in the line draw your eye from this direction to this direction. What do you see
1: when you're standing here? I don't know. Give me two glasses of wine, I'll see something totally <laughs> different. <I don't> know. <laughs> and so, I get for some that is like your jam. You get the art, the um, artistic talent in it, or sort of the like how they did it, or techniques, and so it, it draws a lot more interest. But I feel when you open up art like that in these more three-dimensional I guess four-dimensional whatever sort of ways and experiences and then also getting to learn something about the artist behind it us folks who just see a picture on the wall we get a little bit more appreciation to what went into that or like learning things that maybe it took months to years for certain thickness of paint strokes to to dry like that's fascinating to someone who Let's be honest, isn't painted more than like a stick figure or, you know, nothing in between the lines for the last 40 years. So I think it's a neat way to get more people interested in art than just because if it's really good art, it's easy to take it for granted because it looks like. Well, that's the beauty of somebody like
3: Van Gogh. I mean, while in his time, he thought of himself as a failure and ended his own life thinking he was a failure. But. Hindsight being what it is, looking back on his life and his contribution to art, he was painting at a time when realism was important, but they, they didn't know how to bring every aspect of realism to the forefront. And that sounds wonky and kind of out there, but think about it this way. I, I've said it before. People have been people as long as people have been people. And you, we were talking about the Sistine Chapel. You think of Roman architecture and all these white marble columns and stuff. And people don't realize when that was being occupied, when that was contemporary, it was insanely brightly colored. It wasn't just white marble columns. There was paint and dye everywhere. All those marble statues you see from classical times, they were painted and they look almost cartoonish when you see replications of it because there's so much color. Van Gogh was painting at a time when you saw a whole lot of brown, a whole lot of muted tones. And then here comes this guy where it's almost surreal the amount of color he puts on a canvas. And he's a great entry point for art for for young people, especially students, because it is those it, are, it contains those bright colors it it is a little cartoonish while still being fine art so it it's a great way to get your your feet wet when looking at the old masters and it's it's interesting to see someone who had so many demons who who battled mental illness and depression be able to see the world with such brightness and so many colors
1: oh you know who came to mind robin williams like I mean, you—I mean, of course, beloved and, and late Robert Williams. But same way, like if you saw his work, you would have thought that he lived a, a happy-go-lucky, you know, saw the good in everything, laughing, and joking kind of life. But then obviously wrestled with things. I feel like that's a characteristic of a lot of the great artists. Sadly, it's that pull between, you know, their creativity and the way they see the world, and it's so different than the way I won't say. Every, well, the majority of others sort of see it and then wrestling with, is that right? Is that wrong or where they fit in and sort of all the things. I think the, the, the phrase is men. a
3: broken vessel shares its contents.
1: Oh, well, that's deep in the best way, in the best way possible. But a man in Pike County says the Mona Lisa is a letdown. <laughs> <laughs> Will not put that on my things to do for twenty twenty four list. Like and the
3: the Van Gogh Starry Night, his most famous work. I, I've never seen it in person. I think it would be really cool to see it in person. But it's one of those. It could be the size of a postage stamp, and just the fact that he looked at the night sky and saw the swirling of the universe and put that into paint
1: before it had ever been even thought or sort of done before. Oh yeah, because you got you know that's one good thing about those that were first. Was they didn't have anything to like...
3: They weren't referencing anything. Or
1: replicating anything. They weren't being derivative. It's literally just their brain thinking of it in a unique sort of way, which I think is really cool and interesting. All right, we've got a great headline or a good story for you happening in Rolling Fort. coming up next.
0: And I love to live so pleasantly. Live beat, positive, and stories that make you smile. This is Good Things with Rebecca Turner on Super Talk Mississippi, the Super Talk app and at supertalk.fm Everyone knows all about my
4: direction
0: and in my heart somewhere I'm going go Till I don't go there Everybody says say something
1: Welcome back to Good Things. Don't forget we are streaming live over at SuperTalk.fm. We're also streaming from the SuperTalk Mississippi app. And of course, you can always find us too on your local SuperTalk Mississippi radio station. If by chance you called Good Morning America this morning, you saw them live from Rollingport, Mississippi as they continue their Mississippi Strong series. And today was a good day. They had the unveiling of keys for the new homes to two families. Joining us today is Britt Williamson. He is the chairman of Rolling Fort Rising and pastor of First Baptist this rolling fork he's been on good things before talking about all the good they're going on there but today was a special day wasn't it Britt?
4: great day thank you for having me on again
1: oh it's so good to have you back especially on days like today so set it up for us what all was happening in rolling fork today
4: it's been happening um uh, we've known that good morning america's coming was coming today for about a month but We had to keep it under wraps because we didn't need, uh, you know, our two families finding out anything. And so it's kind of been a big secret till this morning and uh, been a lot of work and a lot of planning and effort that went into uh, the big reveal today. And so... Uh, we had Robin Roberts and Good Morning America in and uh, our first two families that have done all the classes and done all their work and have uh, gone through everything they needed to do. They were told this morning that they, you know, shown the houses that they'll be buying.
1: That is amazing. And, if um, you know, if they were listening a while back, I guess a couple of months, Britt, you came on and was talking about this idea of providing homes for those that may have been renting in Rolling Fork. You brought an interesting perspective that many of the homes that were lost were were actually from those that were from renters and that they right. weren't going to be built back. And so that was a big gap for those who called Rolling Fork home who maybe didn't have the means or weren't purchasing um, homes. So catch us from there. How did we get from it being an idea to now you have your first two chosen homeowners that, you know, receive their keys today?
4: Well, it's, uh, really a God-sized task and, uh, God has really put this whole program together. He's given us a, a wonderful board of directors who are all, you know, on the same page, just wanting to be vessels of hope to, uh, bless families that, uh, really were not in a position to be able to be a homeowner. Uh, he's provided us with a great construction manager and Brad Craddock, a great administrative assistant. We have St. Vincent Paul. Uh, doing all our case management and working with the families to get them, you know, doing everything that they need to do to get to approval. Uh, we have a lot of local farmers that have let us borrow uh, tractors and excavators and dozers so that we don't have to buy or rent that equipment. We have, it's a whole team effort, but the team effort has been, the team has really truly been put put together by God. And uh, for us to be eight months uh, away from the tornado uh, to have two houses very close to completion, uh, the only way you can explain that is to just give God God the glory.
1: And this isn't the last two that you guys hope to provide for residents there in Rolling Fork. What's the long term projection, Britt?
4: Well, we don't like to talk about numbers because if you if you put a number out there and you don't do that many houses, it ah. kind of look like a failure. But uh, I, I will say this: uh, we have around a hundred. Uh, renter families in the program. Uh, so, you know, there, there's a need for a hundred houses. I don't know if we'll ever do a hundred houses. Uh, but you know, as you saw in Good Morning America today, each house is costing us about $125,000. And that's what they gave us this morning. So that's an, another step closer to doing another house to being able to put one of these displaced families, uh, not in a rental home, not an apartment, but in their actual own home. And so, uh, you know, we, we want to do as many as we can. We're really not putting a number on it. And as long as God keeps sending us the funds, we're going to keep doing it.
1: You talk about the program, Britt, which I think is really uh, part of what makes this special. And even the the lady there on Good, Thing, uh, Good Morning America this morning was talking about going through the uh, program. And I love that one of her answers was one of the things she learned the most was that it was all about community and, you know, being there, being grounded and rooted and rolling for going from a renter to an actual homeowner means you have roots there. Right. And I think, you know, for those of us who are homeowners in our cities, we, we sort of get that. But talk about the program. Talk about what the I guess the 98 left, (laughs) we're going going to chip it it away that way, um, that are left going through it, what they go through, and then, you know, with the hopes of being a homeowner after.
4: So we designed a holistic program to help these families, mind, body, and soul. And so they have to go through several classes. The first is what we call a Foundation of Hope class. It's an hour-long class that really explains to them what the program is, who we are as a board and a nonprofit, and what we're trying to accomplish and what we expect out of them. Uh, then they have to go through two different three-hour Uh, financial literacy classes, which is just basic financial literacy things like budgeting, how to save money, how to open a checking account, Uh, just basic things that many people take for granted that we really don't have that education level here in the Delta. Uh, The third class is a homeowner's class, and it goes over the differences between being a renter and a homeowner. And the example I use with the families is if you're a renter and your hot water heater goes out, what do you do? You you just make a phone call. It's somebody else's problem. And if, if you own that home now, that's your hot water heater. You have to be able to know what to do, how to maintain your home, how to do a scheduled maintenance so your home doesn't get into disrepair. And so those are the classes. And at the end of the classes, then they have to go through uh, three one-hour counseling sessions. Uh, everybody here in Rolling Fork has some type of post-traumatic stress from the tornado in March. Uh, the week of Thanksgiving, when the bad weather came throughout Mississippi, we were first under a tornado uh, watch here, and then it went to a warning. And uh, it was just so much fear and so much trembling with adults, children. Everybody's kind of reliving that night. And so we don't want to just put people in a home. We want them to be healthy. We want them to have the education to be able to take care of that home. But we want them to also be on the healing process uh, emotionally from the damage that that storm caused emotionally and mentally uh, in March. And so once they've completed all of the classes and all of the... Uh, um, uh, all the emotional, and spiritual care training, which is the counseling, and uh, it's just a bunch of paperwork they have to do with our uh, case management team. And so, we as a board, we don't pick who starts the classes. We don't pick who gets approved for the houses. We have uh, Saint Vincent de Paul Disaster Services doing that for us. And so, uh, basically, if a family's willing to put in the work and uh, you know do the classes, then at the end of the at the end of the program they'll have the opportunity to purchase a one hundred twenty five, hundred fifty thousand dollars 150000 home for less than $100,000. And on top of that, we're underwriting the mortgage as a nonprofit, and we're giving them a 20-year mortgage at 0%. And so one of the main goals we wanted is uh, to, the top rent in Roland Fort before the tornado was $600 a month. And so we didn't want their total payment with insurance and taxes uh, to be over $600 a month. And so really the only way we could do that with, with interest rates being what they are on, on mortgages these days is to, you know, hold those mortgages ourselves and uh, give them a 0% mortgage. And so one of the things I talk about in the foundation of hope class is this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Uh, And there's nowhere else where someone else is going to do all the work building the house and someone's going to put in all that time and all that effort. And at the end of the day, they're going to sell it to you for less than the value and give you a 0% mortgage.
1: Amen to that <laughs> Pastor that Amen to that <laughs> But but obviously As you mentioned I mean this isn't a handout This is a, a, a hand up Because what Rolling Fork And the community Has been through And then all the people Fighting like heck To provide opportunities For the community To stay strong And to get healthy again So this is definitely You know A good thing And trying to Keep the uh, keep the community together Which I think is something Your message has come through So often It's just you wanted to fight Find a way to give people the opportunity to continue to call Rolling Fork home, and I think that's super important. So how can we help? Those of us that don't live in Rolling Fork, those of us who are still, though, you know, wanting to help in any way we can, you know, how can we help make sure that all 100, if possible, see the opportunity to be homeowners?
4: So we need three main areas of uh, well four main areas of help. The first is prayer, you know, just praying for us as a board, our community. Uh a lot of these families are still displaced. They they're living in Greenville, Yazoo City, and so just praying for these families. Uh unfortunately we need money. And uh you know, they can go to our website it's rollingforkrising.org. Uh, you, our Venmo's there. Our cash app's there. You can do uh, credit card giving there. Our address is there if they want to send a check. Um, because it costs a lot of money to build a house. you got to have materials. Uh, so we need materials. So if anybody can give us discounts on materials, donated materials. And then the last thing is we need volunteers. And one of the ways we're keeping our costs down is using volunteer labor. We've already had three volunteer teams in uh, working on our houses, and we have a lot more scheduled for next year. Uh, but we have you know, plenty of opportunity for people to come in, whether it's for a day, three days. Uh, we even have teams coming in next year for two whole weeks uh, to come in and volunteer to help build these houses, to help us save them that labor cost. And so prayer, uh, funding... Um, materials and volunteers to come help us
1: well uh Britt, pastor Brett, i congratulations on seeing the fruition of it in the two houses today we look forward to hearing from you in 2024 and merry christmas
4: all right merry christmas to you have a great day
1: all righty you guys stick with us we got more for you coming up next
0: i'm not worried i'm happy
1: to good things. Don't forget you can find us on your computer, your mobile device. Just head on over to Super Talk TV. If you were joining us earlier. You know, we were talking about really cool art exhibits and one Rhino and I was sharing was the French exhibit of, what was it? Splendors of Versailles Yeah. and then the eggs that were from the palaces of St. Petersburg. So I got a message from one of uh, the media who got to cover that and she was mentioning how cool it was and when that actually happened back in 98. Y'all remember 98? That was so long ago. I'm trying to think I would have put us as being, what, 15, 14? 13, I think it was
3: 12 or 13. 12 yeah.
1: or 13? That's crazy. Um, that they sent them over to Versailles and then over to or St. Petersburg and then to Paris to Versailles to see all the artifacts before they got loaned here. It was Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama was where it all sort of went. Um, and how cool would that be? Like, who gets that opportunity with work? Like, hey, let me send you on an international trip to see, you know, relics of the past before it comes to your town for you, you you can't wait to see it then uh, uh for you to see it firsthand before it gets there and sort of better understand it. I think that's really that's really cool. I don't know if anything like that traveling has come back since then that I don't I can't remember. It was a big deal. I do remember that. I feel like
3: I want to say there was a Birds of Audubon exhibit somewhere in there too that we traveled I, I took a field trip from Tupelo down to the capital city to see and it was it wasn't nearly as engaging as like gilded horse-drawn carriages and Fabergé eggs and baroque artwork in a in a room that it was just a bunch of paintings of birds.
1: Which is a letdown to a teenager. I mean, maybe a subset of teenagers would find that really cool that's really into art but that's a subset for most but the other one was more interactive you had the, like the headphones you got to listen to kind of all of that and it's something that even if you can't remember like i remember walking in and it had like the ropes like I, if i sit and sort of really put myself back there i can i don't remember everything i saw other than the eggs but like it's something that left an Whereas impression. i only
3: remember the eggs in the gift shop <laughs> so maybe i didn't see that exhibit maybe i saw the leftover eggs in the gift shop when i was going to the the Splendors of Versailles exhibit.
1: Mailman Clayton says he saw King Tut exhibit 46 years ago in New Orleans. That's cool.
3: Oh, yeah. That was a big deal. It was a whole traveling exhibit, kind of like the Van Gogh experience. They couldn't
1: with, wait six plus years for me to be able to go and see it. Forty. 40- <laughs> parents-
3: it, it toured for a couple of years around the country and around the world.
1: Do they, I wonder if they still, I know they have exhibits and we talk about them all the time here, but I mean, these just feel bigger and they were almost like pop up museums, I feel like, versus being an exhibit at a museum and it kind of like took over your town and it was just felt like it was a bigger deal or maybe I'm just not in the know and don't recognize things or Also, our museums do such a good job now of having smaller but more quality things that move around. And then like so many others, we aren't just connected to what's going on in our own backyard that we don't always get out and see these really neat things that are right under our noses. And I feel like the latter is probably more true because the, the whole Van Gogh thing, if you're just tuning in, that's what we were talking to earlier. Miss Lisa with the Museum of the Mississippi Delta, they now have the Van Gogh for all exhibit through the 29th of February. And how cool, it, you should go. Like you won't get another chance to um, to do that unless you head to Chicago or whatever else. And so just like that was a once-in-a-lifetime for us in 98, one day we'll be saying, y'all remember in 2023 when we should have went or our kids could have gotten to go. And then you bypass that, um, up. which is interesting, though, because 40 years from now, Van Gogh, all those things will still be considered classics studied about up on some wall somewhere. I
3: mean, that's the the silver lining on the dark cloud that is Van Gogh's life. Yes, he he was troubled. He suffered from bouts of depression and struggled with his mental health and ended his own life thinking he was a failure. But all the people that belittled him during his life and made him feel that way during his life, no one knows their name. But people are going to remember Van Gogh's name as long as people remember the names of any painter
1: out there. I hope he came back and haunted them. Although his work wasn't creepy or scary at all. But <laughs> I hope in the middle of the night they stubbed their toe and they thought, Van Gogh, is that you? <laughs> but it also goes to show and hopefully is a good – and I'm glad that they add that part of the of the story in the exhibits – for those who may be young, aspiring artists or starving artists, as they may say, um, that, you know, your work or your work can be valuable, even if it doesn't feel like it at this moment. And that you shouldn't use what other people say as sort of the marker of why you're doing it, because it feels like, at least with his life, as we've learned today and, and others, is he just had a he had a need to do it, regardless of whether it was a
3: no matter where he was, no matter what he was doing in his life. He felt the need to express The way he saw the world in art.
1: Dan in Hattiesburg and his two sisters also saw the King Tut exhibit. I feel so left out. I was like six years from being made, but still, I feel so. I
3: think there's one still traveling. Like, I want to say it's in Atlanta. I think
1: that would be cool. Oh, let's go. Road trip. Good things, road trip. <laughs> we'll we'll see if they let us do that. Probably not. But stick with us. You got more coming up next. You got the Boys with Sports Talk from three to six. Rhino and I will meet you back here tomorrow at two, but until then I hope you all find time for the good things.